Blog Talk Radio. It's Film Festival Radio, the show where superstars and future stars happily coexist together. And now, here's your host, Janice Malone. Well, hello, everyone. It's me, Janice Malone. I hope you're having a great Saturday and an even better weekend so far. You good? Okay, just want to check. I'm having a pretty good Saturday myself, and I'm so glad to get on board here with you guys, as always, every Saturday. So we've got a lot of guests here, as always. So let's jump right in here and start swimming. Well, March, we are in the month of March, finally. My birthday month, by the way. But March is also International Women's Month, and March 8th is International Women's Day. So in celebration of this month, we have a guest author who has an absolutely beautiful new book that's titled, Why We Cook, Women on Food, Identity, and Connection. And again, this is an absolutely beautiful book. Um, The author is uh, Lindsay Gardner, and she is not only an author, but she's also an illustrator and a painter. Now, this book pays tribute to the inspiring achievements of women in food today. Now, this is not just about women who are chefs or cooks in the culinary industry only, even though there are some who are mentioned, they are included. But not only is the book beautifully illustrated, but it features more than 100 women restaurateurs, activists, food writers, professional chefs, and home cooks. You will also find in this book essays, profiles, really good-looking, sounding photographs of recipes, and even more information. And I will tell you that uh, Lindsay, our author, she is a professional, as I said, illustrator and artist, so she paints as well. So no wonder this book looks so beautiful. I mean, the book itself looks like you should want to hang it on the wall and just frame it. It is that gorgeous. So let me be quiet, and let's bring on Lindsay Gardner to chat about her latest book. Again, the title is Why We Cook, Women on Food, Identity, and Connection. Get this book. I know that you will really enjoy it. So let's bring Lindsay on right now. Hi, Lindsay. Hi, Dennis. Well, at last we meet. Um, I tell you, Lindsay, I am just loving your book, Why We Cook, Women on Food, Identity, and Connection. Just starting with the hardback cover, the front page, the front cover is just beautiful. Oh, my goodness. Thank you so much. I just love it. So, okay, uh, of course, we are here in the first part of March, and this is, um, you know, International Month for Women. March has been designated as. Um, But you are a very talented illustrator and artist. So why did you decide to do this book and this type of a book? What inspired you? You know, it was really a confluence of so many uh, personal reasons and also um, reasons having to do with the moment that I started to write it, which was um, around 2018. Um, 
the idea is really generated from questions I was asking myself in my own kitchen when I realized that I was spending more and more time there as a mom of two young kids. Um, and as an artist, I often take those questions that I have and I try to go to my studio and work them out. So it was kind of a combination of all of those things. Well, now, in this book, you talk to more excuse me, more than 100 women from the world of restaurants and activists, food writers, professional chefs, and even home cooks. Um, so how strong, in your research, how strong is the sisterhood of women in the food world, in the food industry? Is it, is it as strong as it looks to be, or, or what? You know, um, I felt I'm not part of the the culinary world, obviously, um, but I felt totally welcomed by this community of women, and um, and I think there's really something powerful in seeing them all gathered together in this forum. I like to think of the book as a conversation um, between the women that are changing the food landscape as we know it, um, and I do think that there is momentum in the industry um, and a very palpable and powerful inclination amongst women to support each other. Um, so that to me feels very hopeful. I was really happy to see that you decided to include home cooks uh, as well as on this list of women that you spoke to. How did you go about selecting the home cooks? Because there's millions of uh, us out here. So how, how did you do that? <laughs> Yeah, um, that's a great question. I It was super important to me from the beginning to include the voices of home cooks um, because, as you say, we are everywhere, and um, obviously we're a huge part of this landscape, so thank you for recognizing that. Um, I created a survey in 2019 uh, that almost 400 women uh, home cooks completed, and then I called down their responses from there. Okay, that's a I, you know, when I see these types of projects, and I always go, how can I have gotten in on this? So that's why I always ask that question. <laughs> now I'll keep know. you in mind for my next one. Keep me in mind, please, for my world-famous gourmet peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. <laughs> hey, I mean, everybody has their thing. I have, that's my thing. That is so my thing. So tell me, Lindsay, um, is this book for men, also for men? And, and if so, why is it good for them? You know, I think absolutely. I think that this book is for anyone. Um, I think that there's so much to learn here. And um, I hope that when people read the book, they uh, find a renewed sense of curiosity, not just about their own relationship to cooking, but about the work of so many powerful uh, women out there doing uh, this work and changing the the narrative. Um, I think that's important for men and women. Of course, we, we all know that food is, when we think about food and eating, we're thinking about nourishment and I'm hungry and I love ice cream or whatever the dish is. But in your book, you brilliant, brilliant, brilliantly, more coffee's needed here, um, illustrate <laughs> and show and display how food can be used to affect change in our society. And and one of those people that you profile is uh, Leah Pennyman. So tell everybody about Leah's story and, and what she's doing with Soul Fire Farm. 
Absolutely. Leah Penniman is um, such an inspirational person. Um, I have so much respect and admiration for what she is doing. Soulfire Farm is dedicated to ending racism in the food system. So they uh, – and, and Leah is a, co- a co-founder, they're, and they're based in upstate New York. Um, and so through their work at the farm, they, uh, they facilitate – various trainings and workshops, um, and they also are very invested in education, um, whether it be about farming practices or social justice. Um, they invite guests to the farm um, to, to do these workshops and participate, um, really reconnecting black, indigenous, people of color um, to the land. Yeah, I read – well, this is how I did your book. I was so mesmerized by the beauty of it. I looked at all of the pages and all of the pictures, and then I went back and started reading it. And so one of the, the many stories, yeah, I kind of do stuff weird, but especially when it's a beautiful book, and I have such a love and appreciation for beautiful books, coffee tables, style books, and like yours. Your book, something about it kind of reminds me of that movie, Eat, Pray, Love. I don't know but it just did for some reason. Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think, you know, the way that the book is um, is pieced together, you can jump in at any point and, um, and kind of access what's in it sporadically if that's how you choose. Yeah, and it still makes all sense in the world, and it's definitely a keeper uh, on my shelf here. So uh, in addition to profiles of, of the different ladies, uh, you know, their bios and, and essays and such. You also have recipes, which is really cool. So uh, are there any one or two particular recipes that uh, you personally have sampled in your kitchen or, or, or what? I have, yeah. Um, one of my favorites is by indigenous chef Hillel Echo Hawk um, for buffalo and sage meatballs with sweet potato puree. Um it's a really approachable recipe with uh, distinct ingredients that I had never combined in, in that way before, and I just love them. Oh, it just sounds so delicious. I can just, like, smell the flavors. <laughs> Gosh, it smells mm-hmm. good. Yeah. Wow. So, okay, you know, since I mentioned a movie, um, what type of – or is there a sequel planned, a follow-up book for this one, or is that a, a documentary or something, or, or what, for this project? Oh, that's a that's a great idea. <laughs> um, no, I uh, you know one of the things that really um, that's really exciting about this project is that obviously it includes the voices of so many women, um, but really this is the tip of the iceberg. There are so many women doing this work all over the world every day. Um, there could be volumes that could be included in this collection. Um, so you know you never know what what's next, but I am excited to continue to have conversations with, uh, with women and working in this sphere. And, um, and I'm also excited about getting back to my studio and doing some more painting. Oh yes. Because you are equally as talented as an artist. Uh, your work is beautiful. Thank you very much. So thanks so, so much. So again, the book is why we cook women on food identity and connection by you, 
Lindsay Gardner. So, Lindsay, thank you so much for the book and for giving us the backstory and the making of the book. So, uh, I'll, you know, I'm, I'm your new biggest fan here, so I'll be waiting for that next project. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> Absolutely. And I really enjoy talking to you as well. And I think I'll go back and look at the book some more while I finish my tea here. <laughs> <laughs> Great idea. Okay. Have a wonderful rest of the day. Thanks, you too. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Okay, we are back with more of Film Festival Radio Show with me, Janice Malone, here. And want to, as always, thank everybody for listening in and supporting our show all these years. Yeah, we've been doing this for a while. We started our show December 7th, yeah, in 2007. And that was a time when nobody knew what a podcast was, or they didn't really care what a podcast was, but we still did it anyway. And so now we are airing on terrestrial radio here in Las Vegas. You can hear us each Saturday, 12 noon Pacific, on KSHP 1400 uh, Talk Radio, and it's a show that streams nationally, so... Just go to their website, kshp.com. You'll see the information where it says Listen Live. Click on that, and you can hear the station anywhere in the country. So you don't have a reason not to tune us in if you want to do so by traditional radio. Plus, we are also now heard on one of the XM Sirius, or I always get that backwards, is Sirius XM channels. Uh, channel 470, two box, T-U-B-O-X, two box 470. And again, uh, that's every Saturday, 12 p.m. Pacific time. Whatever is your time zone, you know where you are. You know where you live, so you can figure it out. So, yeah, we are reaching millions of people now, thanks to that new edition of um, XM, Sirius, or Sirius XM. I'll get it right, just. You know, it's just like with me and one of my favorite shows, uh, Law and Order SVU. How many times have I said Law and Order SUV? How you've said it too. I know you have. It's so you, you know you're thinking so hard. I'm not gonna say SUV, but you say SUV. And I remember a few years ago I had uh, actor B D Wong on the show on our show and then he was of course back then on SVU and he played as the psychiatrist I believe I forgot his character's name and that show was in our archives we'll play it one day so lo and behold I was like okay I'm not gonna say SVU I'm gonna say law and order I'm not gonna mess it up I'm not I messed it up he just laughed it off. I said, BD, I was trying so hard not to, but I said it anyway. But listen, um, enough of my gaffes and snafus here. want to share, before we get to our next guest, I wanted to share this information with you. This is kind of fun info. Okay. If you're like me, ladies, we are all guilty, We so many of us. I won't say all, but generally speaking, most of us ladies, we are very guilty of buying nearly everything that we see trending on the internet or social media, especially on TikTok. Now, I don't have a TikTok account yet. I'm working on getting, I'm just, ugh, I need the time. But millions of you out there do have TikTok accounts, obviously. 
Well, according to some very fun and interesting data uh, from this website called Jungle, J-U-N-G-L-E, Jungle Scout, junglescout.com, and they are a national PR and marketing agency, and they collect and get research of all kinds of interesting data about uh, cultural trends and social media trends. And this is some information that they sent to us and I thought it would be fun to share to you guys out there. So according to Jungle Scout, um, trending products on TikTok, on Amazon, TikTok products, Amazon, TikTok. If you have a product that is on TikTok and it starts trending, it is powerful. It can boost your sales like crazy. But on the other hand, it can also hurt yourself like crazy if the TikTokers are not liking your account, I mean, your uh, product. Mm. Yeah, it can work both ways. It depends on where you're on the needle. Let me give you some examples. Now, according again to junglescout.com, here are some items that have just been kissed with blessings by being mentioned on TikTok. One of them is ELF Cosmetics. Uh, you ladies, you know ELF, eyes, lips, face. I've been using their products for years. So they have this product called ELF Hydrating Camo Concealer. It's been seen on TikTok, and this item has received a 5,908% increase in sales. That is how powerful TikTok is. It is no joke. I kid you not. Uh, another product, Maybelline Sky High Mascara. Their sales, after being on TikTok, their sales have boomed 720% in an increase of sales. Yes. I don't have any. Maybe I need to run out and go get some to just take it up even further. <laughs> okay. Another. Now, this is ri- yeah, I thank you, Sheila. One of my assistants over there was she's got some. I'm looking at it right now. Good girl. Uh, anyway, did you okay, Sheila? Did you buy this Maybelline Sky High mascara? As you saw it on TikTok? No, or you just like it? Oh, okay, she just likes it. Just like this product, um, Sarah V Hydrating Facial Cleanser. One of my longtime favorites. Also, they have seen an increase in sales by. after being shown and seen on and gone viral on TikTok. But like I said earlier, on the other side, on the flip side, if TikTokers do not like a product, oh my word, the impact on sales can be very drastic. Neutrogena makeup removing wipes, which I like those. Well, for some reason, they have seen an 81% decrease. Why? I don't know. It's a nice item. And also another item, Dr. Thayer's Witch Hazel has seen an 80% decrease in sales as well. Witch Hazel is nice. It's really good for all kinds of, you know, cleansing. And uh, my mom and grandmother, I grew up using Witch Hazel sometimes. It's like an antiseptic if you get a scrape or, you know, a burn or something like from cooking or whatever. So... Which Hazel is your friend, all of you Gen Xers and Gen Zers and Gen Ws, whatever the 
trending alphabet is for all of that. But yeah, that's an example of two products where it went into reverse uh, after being, you know, noticed on TikTok. Don't know why though, but you like this kind of information. It may be for those of you out there who are students. We've got a lot of students listen to our show. Maybe if you're working on a thesis or a dissertation or something, and this type of information may be helpful to you uh, for your research. Go to junglescout.com and just look at the rest of the information and data that they have about trends and sales, ups and sales down as if, uh, as they appear on these items and products appear on TikTok. Quite interesting indeed. Okay, we're going to take a quick break and when we come back, we will have our next guest. Stay tuned. You're listening to Film Festival Radio Show with me, Janice Malone. We'll be right back. Okay, we are back with more uh, Film Festival Radio Show with me, Janice Malone. And hey, all of you independent filmmakers out there, if you would like to be considered to be a guest on our show, drop us a line at info, info at filmfestivalradio.com. And just give us a brief information about your, your film. Um, you don't have to be, you know, Steven Spielberg right now, but maybe you are the next future Steven Spielberg, or maybe... Maybe you are Steven Spielberg. We would love to have you on, too, especially, of course. But anyway, yes, drop us a line, info at filmfestivalradio.com, and tell us about yourself. Send us a bio. Maybe if you have a, you know, a clip from Vimeo or somewhere that we can look at, we'd love to have you on. Okay? Well, that is uh, bringing me to our next guest here. Uh Julio Mario Martino is the filmmaker, director, and he has a new film called Country of Hotels. And this is a film is very, it's kind of an Alfred Hitchcock sort of, yeah, it's kind of Alfred Hitchcock-ish in a way because it's kind of a psychological type of a thriller type movie with a touch of horror on the side for coleslaw. Yeah, that's it. The film recently had its European premiere at the Manchester Film Festival in Manchester, England, of course. And it already has won um, and been nominated for several awards at, throughout uh, America, different film festivals. And so um, we're going to talk with Mar uh, I'm going to call him Mario, but it's Julio, we want to talk to him about the film, Country of Hotels. Now, the film tells the stories of these desperate, kind of desperate, kind of, kind of, they're not down and out, but they're close. They're filling out the application, uh, but they're desperate. And it, they, they stay at this hotel, and the hotel is spooky. It's kind of creepy-ish. Uh, the film has kind of a black comedy, black comic tinge to it. And, you know, these people, they're desperate. They're kind of lonely. They kind of, you know, need a friend or something. But the actual, the hotel, what I like, one of the things I like about this film is that they really went all out and made you feel the outdatedness of the of the hotel of it being kind of a desperate 
place and it's bleak. It's it's um has outdated furniture, stained spots on the on the dressers and the carpet and it's just like, ooh, where did this thing come from? And I mean they really went all out. It makes you feel like you can almost smell the the um you know, the must mustiness of an old hotel where it's got, you know, trapped with cigarette smoke that's been there for you know, 312 years. Uh, yeah, that. And so this particular room is called, uh, the number is room 508. It's on the fifth floor. And it's about these different guests who have stayed at room 508 and their crazy, whacked out lives. Of what goes on now, because it's at a rundown hotel, motel, really a hotel. That doesn't mean it's a porn movie. No, it's none of that kind of stuff. It's it's a psychological, like I said, thriller slash kind of horror ish, and I think you will like it if you if you're into that whole genre of film and filmmaking. This is your film. And with me being such a decorator hound fan, I love beautiful furnishings and decorations and such, I really zoomed in on the fact that they went all out to make you feel like you were back in the 1960s or somewhere in one of these old school, old, 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 old school hotels. Oh, my God. Uh, the director, my guest, Julio, he did a really good job. He and his crew with, uh, you know, taking us a, on the journey, going back in time with this dilapidated, why is this hotel even still in business? You know, that's the question I had as I was watching the film. So uh, we're going to take, uh, no, we have him. We have him on board. So I thought we, we had to wait. So he's calling us from England. So, um Big time zone difference there. So let's bring Julio uh, Maria Martino, the director of this new film, Country of Hotels, and he can tell us more about it and you know the makings of it and how it all came about and the storyline as well. So let's bring him up uh, his his call up right now. Yes, you have called the right number, and I was just uh, awaiting your call. So here you are. Brilliant, fantastic. Okay. Well, we'll get right to it here. Um, you've got your, your new film. Well, I say it's new because you did, um, you guys shot the film in t- 2019, I believe it was, right? Country of Hotels. Yeah, we, we, shot, we shot it a couple of years ago when we've been, you know, in post-production finishing it, but yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, I understand that um, the film will be making its uh, big premiere at the Manchester Film Festival coming up in matter of hours actually so how excited you guys must be for this we're certainly very excited yes we're very happy to be being screened at uh, manchester film festival and it's showing at 6 p.m greenwich mean time that is uh friday evening that'll be midday in the states depending on 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 where you are but it's going to be screened worldwide obviously because of the pandemic it's going to be, you know, an online screening which is available worldwide. So this will be uh, the premiere, yeah. And so you are the um, director of the film. So what what was it about this script when you first became aware of it, they presented it to you, that caused you to want to get involved with it? Well, the, the way the film was set up is actually uh, the 
screenwriter David Hauptschein, who's from Chicago, is someone that I've known for many years. And we, uh, we've been working together in the theatre for a number of years before that. I'd seen a play of his, I think it was in 1996, when I was a student at Manchester University, funnily enough, and I went to the Edinburgh Festival and I saw this play of his called Trance, which affected me quite uh, deeply and profoundly, and I found a, a really quite a disturbing play. And I was thinking about it a number of years after that, and I thought, I'm going to have to contact this person. I'm still thinking about his play, and I found him via the internet. We began talking, and I then went on to direct some of his plays, and from that, we began to talk about making a film, and we came up with the idea of setting a film in a hotel, specifically in a hotel room, and surrounding rooms and corridors as a way of sort of limiting the budget, of keeping it as focused as possible in a few locations so we could really control the environment we were shooting in. And out of this was born the idea and then the screenplay for Country of Hotel. So it's based on a very long relationship between myself and the writer. Okay. I think that I will, from this point on, after seeing this film, I'll be very careful any future hotels that I don't want room 508 for sure. <laughs> yeah, no, we've, we, we, I, that's a, a lovely thing to hear. Yeah, it's, um, it, 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 you know, it's really based on the idea that when you go into a hotel, you are often a stranger in a strange land. In the case of this film, you're a stranger in a, you, the character's a stranger in a very strange land. But it's the idea that hotels provide a kind of a, a sort of an alienation effect to you when you walk in. They they they, they, uh, they take away all of your normal surroundings. Often you don't get a you know a, a view with them, natural sunlight, depending on on what kind of room you get. And the hotel staff are you know from all sorts of different places in the world sometimes. And so it's not really like going you know I could go to a hotel in. London or Los Angeles or New York, and it isn't really like going necessarily to London or Los Angeles or New York. It's like going to a world of hotels, and that's the kind of feeling we're starting with at the beginning of the film, and we're trying to build. Right, from all the films are very, you know, meant to be a very disturbing, uh, at times blackly comic, surreal film. It's got that base level reality of what it's like to be in a hotel, and the unusual experience for that that kind of can provide and also the setting for drama. So um, was there, did you hear the writer say any particular reason why those three numbers, 508, were used? Did they, did they have any uh, specific uh, personal attachment to the writer or what? I think, I think I've asked him. I don't really remember, but I'm sure I've been present when other people have asked him. And I'm certain that he's replied they've got no significance and he just likes the sound of them. I actually think that it's based on a number of a room he had at college because I, I remember him writing at a different time about a college experience and that was a room number. So that's a, a bit of inside information there that maybe something happened to him in room 508 when he was at college that, that, um, that, 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 that led to this number. Uh, obtaining a special significance, but I, I don't think it has any official, official reason as to why it has that sort of uh, that, that why that meaning's been attached to it. But it, but it definitely, you know, the, the numbers work for us in the film. 
So they're sort of used and refracted in an unusual way in the film in ways you might not notice at first, but they're there sort of repeated and turned around at various times. But um, no specific reason, no. I knew when the film kind of first started, I knew when I saw that shower scene, I said, okay, this this is going to be wild. This is going to be interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry about that. Yeah. Man, every time you see a movie that's got a shower scene, it's like, okay, here we go. <laughs> uh -huh. Yeah. Well, without giving away too much, of course. Um, so did you guys actually shoot the film in hotel dumps, or, or is this just good? No. Thing? You did? It's, no, the film is shot. Um, if you mean where was it shot, it's shot yeah. on totally on set, on constructed set. Oh. We found that if, in order to, because the film's shot in, you know, it's, it's set in only a few locations, we felt it's really important to give those locations as much uh, cinematic space as possible. So the camera could be in any place that we wanted it to be, that we could remove walls, we could shoot through walls, we could shoot through the ceiling, we could shoot partially through the floor if we needed to, we would shoot directly from above. All things that you couldn't really do if you were in a real hotel room, the camera would always have to sit up against the wall or within the room at some point. And that would actually create, I think, a very claustrophobic feel in the wrong way. Instead, we wanted to control the element of claustrophobia. I hope that sort of makes sense so that we could actually, you know, we could, we, we could change the space in the room if we needed to. And so, um, the film was actually made because it's a relatively low budget film. We actually shot it in a warehouse about an hour's drive out of London. So the cast would come in every day from London and the crew would come in every day from London and we'd film in this warehouse. But it was actually a working warehouse where they were packing T-shirts, shoes, all sorts of things. And we were having to work around the, you know, stuff that was going on in the warehouse. I, this isn't at all evidence of the finished product. I'm very happy with the way the film looks. But every time we shot, we'd have to sound a horn, and the people in the warehouse would stop working for a few minutes while we filmed, and then we'd sound another horn, and they'd carry on working. And so it, was, it wasn't all within use, but it was a partially in-use warehouse where we had, we'd, we'd rented, you know, a 200-meter-square, 2,000-square-foot space of the warehouse to build up that thing. Well, that was a very unusual experience. There's no way that you can tell you guys were in a, a working actual warehouse. Very good job with set designs and such. Yeah. Well, the set designs, a guy called Mike McLaughlin, and he really pulled out all the stops for it. You know, he really, uh, you know, spent a long time, you know, designing and then building, you know, these, uh, these with his team, these, these hotel, this hotel room and the corridor and the lobby and stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. a, a lot of work went into it. But I think it's very necessary. If, you, if you're going to make a film in an, in an enclosed setting in one or two rooms to allow yourself the space to be able to move the walls away and shoot through, you know, things that in a real room would be in the way. I was even looking at some of the uh, props in certain scenes. There's one scene where you've got this, this uh, ashtray with the cigarette butts in it, and I haven't seen an ashtray that of that era it looks like it's from the late 60s or so early 70s yeah. oh my god where did they find an ashtray like that like, <laughs> my grandparents had that <laughs> well, yeah well it's, it's nice that you, you pick up on on those kind of details and really what 
there's sort of two things behind that. Really, the idea is that this hotel is run by these people that, you know, furnished it at a certain part point, and maybe they furnished parts of it later, some parts done earlier, some parts done later, and it existed like that in time. And that's really part of the idea that this is like a country of hotels. You know, this is a, this is a world unto itself. And something that you, as a first-time guest, might notice and become completely habitual to the staff. The staff don't notice it. Stuff like just like stuff in your house that you may, you know, you don't see it when you walk in. But a first-time occupant may think, oh, that's really interesting. Where did you get that from? Mm-hmm. But beyond that, it's really about this. We have this idea of trying to create a timeless world. The characters in the film use laptops and mobile phones. But the world they enter has a very sort of timeless feel that elements of it could have, you know, could have been established since the 1960s on through to sort of 2020. It doesn't really have a fixed point in time. And that's all to give it the idea that this is a sort of circular, endless world where these things take place, a kind of, you know, a, 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 a no man's land, metaphysically as well as, you know, in terms of sort of being a, you know, you're not quite sure where you are. Yeah, it it really takes you away as if you are really there. I mean, again, you guys just, you know, the lighting and the sets, and it's just like, oh, my God. I, I don't know. It's, it's, you guys just did a really good job considering that now I'm hearing that you didn't have the biggest budget in the world, but you, you pulled it off. You really did. Yeah, no, it's a very, very, very made on very, very sort of meager sum of money, but we really sort of did work hard in all aspects through to the, you know, the colour grading at the end to really give it a kind of unique look. And uh, that took a lot of time and a, 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 a lot of work. But I think it was very necessary for this kind of film where it's not just about the story, although there's lots of dark stories in the film and there's, you know, threads running through it. It is also about atmosphere and about evoking a mood and it's about, in, in the sense of the film, this room 508, it's really about that room by the end of the film almost has a sort of identity. It's almost breathing. Uh, it's almost conscious. It's a vortex into which these people are being sucked. And that, that, in order to make that believable, you really have to spend time building the world so that the audience buy into it. You can't just rely on, uh, I don't know, a car chase and, a good plot and these things to carry it. It, it really does need a, a coherent world to let it uh, breathe properly, I think. Well, I see that Country of Hotels is your uh, film directorial debut because uh, you have such an extensive background directing plays and such. So what was that like for you? Uh, it was great. I mean, I, I, I've always wanted to make a film ever since I was very young and to a certain extent, my, my father used to run a VHS rental shop. We used to rent videos out, and it was something you know, I watched films throughout my childhood c- continuously, and it always felt like I wanted to direct films, but I ended up doing theatre because it's easier to get a place set up and really enjoyed doing that for, for many, many years. But I you know, was very aware when we came to make a film that I think that while there are some similarities between film and theatre clearly when you're when you're making them both and it really helps in terms of working with actors you've got a real uh you know a real experience of working with actors it could select a lot of actors that are already new to help with the film uh in terms of sort of the language 
the language of theatre, I think there are an awful lot of differences and you've got to be really, really careful. And what I wanted to be especially careful of when we've only got a few locations is I didn't want to make a film play. I didn't just want to record uh, with a camera of people talking, but I wanted to create, you know, a film with its own visual language, its own cinematic language that, that, that transmitted its story to the audience as much by images and sound and editing um, as opposed to just dialogue. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but I didn't want to make just a dialogue-based film. Although there's quite a lot of dialogue in it, I wanted to try and tell the story as visually as possible. And, I, and that was important as well, really, because because it's in such a limited number of locations, I think that the, the viewer, is, there was a danger that they might become bored or exhausted by these, these, these locations. So we always wanted to not just keep the camera moving, but keep the camera moving intelligently and keep the editing you know, edit it in such a way to keep the drama alive in, in, in each scene. So big differences as well as some similarities. Well, now, um, your film has won many awards at various film festivals, especially here in the States. And as we said earlier, uh, we'll be premiering at the Manchester Film Festival. So what is the next um, avenue for Country of Hotels? Do you want to continue it on the film festival circuit or... Uh, any of the um, streaming platforms on television or, or what? Well, I think it's definitely a festival film, first and foremost, and I think that's the route for the film, you know, to be born into the world. It would be nice to do a few more festivals and to get the word about, about the film via those festivals. I think it's really important because it's this weird sort of mix of sort of horror and art has sensibilities. I think it's neither one thing nor the other, intentionally so, and I think that that... It's the more we get the film out into festivals, the more we can sort of get people's responses to that and sort of get get the word out about the film in an intelligent way. And then we've had we've been talking to a few distributors, and at some point, you know, possibly by Halloween, which would be a good time to release the film, yes. you know, on streaming platforms. I think probably as an alternative sort of horror experience, then I think it would be good to sort of you know have it on streaming platforms then I think would be the, the next step. I've shown it in a cinema while we were out of lock, we're back in lockdown in the UK and I showed it in a cinema in between two of the lockdowns uh, in October and that was a fantastic experience. And I'd love the opportunity to show it in more cinemas. I'd love the opportunity to take it to some physical festivals, something I've not been able to do yet because of the pandemic. I think that would be a really important experience. You know, to me personally, it'd be a great, great fun, but also I think to understand better what the film is uh, but ultimately, I think you know, it, you know, given the way film, you know, film is these days, streaming platforms, and hopefully some kind of, you know, small boutique, uh, me, you know, physical media release would be, you know, the best of what we would be aiming for. I think. Well, I think this is an ideal film for the um, Halloween season. Oh my goodness, definitely so. Just perfect. Okay. <laughs> perfect. Does uh, England really go all out for Halloween the way they do here in America? No. Well, I think you you guys have done it the best for many, many years. But I think in recent, let's say in the last decade, first of all, there's been, you know, a horror film renaissance as well at the same time. You know, really, you know, you know horror yeah. cinema really has sort of, built roots, you know, in the UK as well as in the US, but also it had a renaissance. But also I think Halloween has become a thing for younger people 
uh, that's really, really taken off. But it was, it was happening when I was a kid as well, but I think now it's become a much bigger thing, and that's, that's obviously the, the, the influence from the USA. And I still think you guys, you know, take it that bit further uh, from, what, from what I've seen on social media. You know, some really inventive costumes and what have you that I don't think uh, the, the, the British really sort of can compete quite yet. But, mm-hmm. you know, bit by bit we're getting there, I think. And finally, uh, what's next for you? Are you going to direct another film or a play or both or, or just what? Well, I'm, you know, I'm always open to all sorts of offers and there's, there's all sorts of theatrical things I want to do. But um, in terms of cinema, um, I, you know, this is something I really, really want to pursue and feel, a, a, you know, a drive to pursue. I've written a film myself, which I want to film, and I'm also working with the writer of Country of Hotels, who's, you know, written a script that we're also, you know, working on as well. So those two projects, are hopefully things that we're going to have to find money to do them back in some sort of way. But hopefully in the next few years we can get those off the ground and that'll be a really important thing to do. So, um, you know, absolutely. At, at the moment, just having made country hotels, my sort of, my real desire is to get another film, another feature film made really. So that, that's what I'll be co- concentrating, you know, a lot of my efforts on, on next, I think. Okay. And lastly, does Country of Hotels, does it have its own website or social media pages that people can um, visit and make comments? And that, that's a good question. Well, 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 the ideal would be actually I sort of run my Twitter feed as the, uh, as the, the Country of Hotels sort of uh, port of call. So my Twitter is Julio, J-U-L-I-O-M. Martino, M-A-R-T-I-N-O. My full name is Julio Maria Martino. And you can tweet me there about the film. I think in the future we will have a website, but at the moment it's like a Twitter and Instagram type of thing. And that suits us fine for the moment, but going forward to probably a website as well would, would, would be a good idea. But for the time being, just get in touch with me there and I'll be happy to answer any questions okay. or direct you towards its next appearance. Okay, so it's Julio at Martino. My Twitter is at Julio M. Martino, Julio M. Martino, J-U-L-I-O-M-M-A-R-T-I-N-O. Okay, got it, got it, got it. Well, Julio, thank you so much for giving me the backstory of the making of uh, Country of Hotels. I even picked up on when you guys got a scene where the the guy is using a pay phone. I was like, wow, where did they find that? (laughs) (laughs) Well, Prop stores in the United Kingdom are absolutely full of those kind of things. So that's uh, we, we we hired stuff from that probably hasn't been hired in, in decades. So uh, yeah, no, absolutely. Good job, very good job. Well, again, thank you for the chat. And um, yeah, I mean, I know you're going to do very well at the Manchester Film Festival coming up in, like I said earlier, in a few hours tomorrow. Actually, well, it's almost tomorrow yeah. in England. So, but anyway, we're um, going there. I really enjoyed your film and looking at uh, the nostalgia aspect and then kind of got scared all at the same time. So it's cool. <laughs> thank you so much for watching it. That's amazing. Thank you. And uh, thank you for taking time to interview me, but also interviewing oh. me after having watched it and um, experienced it. That's, that's wonderful. Thank you. Oh, yeah. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Definitely. It has that kind of Hitchcockish feel to it. Oh, that, that's too much of a compliment. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. Uh, it really yeah, does. That. It yeah, really that. does. 
<laughs> well, okay, have fun tomorrow night. Unfortunately, it's in virtual, but, you know, you can still have fun somehow or another. I'm going to do my best. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Absolutely. Well, take care then. Talk Lovely. to the next project. Lo- Lovely to speak to you, and I'll, I'll talk to you again for the next project. Have a, have a wonderful day. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. Okay, thank you so much, uh, Julio. Is uh, what an interesting film. It's really quite interesting. As, as I told him, I will never again look at staying in the room five zero eight at whatever hotel. I don't care how luxurious it is. Uh, if they give me room five zero eight, I'm going to say, yeah. Can you give me five zero nine, maybe, or five zero six? Because yeah. Go, you know, see the film. Um, yeah, see the film first, and then you can see exactly what we're talking about. Well, listen, we are out of time here on this edition of Film Festival Radio Show. I want to thank both of my guests, uh, author Lindsay Gardner. Again, her book, beautiful book, Why We Cook, Women on Food, Identity, and Connection by Lindsay uh, Gardner. And okay, for sure, our filmmaker guest, director, Julio Maria Maria Martino, and the film again is Country of Hotels. So we've given you some homework. Support our guests, uh, whether it's film or whether it's books or music or their film festivals. Please support our guests because they do a fantastic job with providing uh, whatever their talents are to us, the public and the media. And we just really appreciate it if you just go out and support whatever it is that they're doing, if you have time. Hey, we right now we have nothing but time. The pandemic is still not over. Not quite. We're getting there, though. We're doing a good job of getting there. So, okay, we'll see you on the next edition of Film Festival Radio Show. Thank you for listening, and have a great rest of the day or evening. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to another edition of Film Festival Radio with your host, Janice Malone. Be sure to download this and other episodes at filmfestivalradio.com.